Hey there, as the Bigger Pockets Podcast Network grows, we're always on the lookout for talented people who think they have what it takes to co-host a show. Is that you? Do you want to be just like me? Well, you can make a submission to our system at biggerpockets.com slash talent so we can get to know you. That's biggerpockets.com slash talent. You'll see a few questions and a place to submit a video reel. Again, that's biggerpockets.com slash talent if you'd like to lend your voice to the growing Bigger Pockets podcast network. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 259, where we interview Grumpus Maximus and talk about the oh so exciting topic of pensions. But the fact of the matter is, there are still pension systems today that are not very well run and they don't have enough money to meet all future obligations as the actuarial uh, scientists have determined what those what those future obligations are. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Denson, and joining me today as guest host is Joe Saul Sihai, author of Stacked, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management, and creator and co-host of the Stacking Benjamins podcast. Joe, thank you for having nothing better to do today. You, you kidding me? Hang out with you, Mindy? An opportunity like that? I threw everything aside. I, of course, have lots to do, but you take Mindy Jensen plus pensions equals true love. I'm in. Awesome. I'm so glad. Joe and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else. To introduce you to every money story, because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. And whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate or start your own business or figure out your pension, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards that dream. Joe, I have been wanting to get Grumpus Maximus on the show for a long time to talk about pensions because, as is very evident in the next five minutes or so, I don't really know anything about them, but I know that they exist. I know that people have to kind of navigate them as they're considering their financial independence and their retirement in general. And Grumpus Maximus is, I'm going to go with the leading authority on all things pensions. <laughs> he certainly has written the book on it, right? Not even so to speak. <laughs> he literally has written the book on it. But, but but also, you know, even though pensions, Mindy, are this thing that some of us consider archaic stuff, the average person stays in a job for not that long anymore. I think the the, the um, uh, uh, Labor Department said something like 4.5 years. So th there's a chance that you're going to stumble upon in your job search a job that has a pension, and pensions, like we hear, have lots of math involved. There's lots of, of things around vesting and about how much you get, depending on how long you're there. So clearly, knowing how a pension works, whether you have one today or not, is going to be something that'll be great to have in your wheelhouse. I agree, Joe. I think that, like, right now, I don't have a pension, but... I could potentially get a job with a pension. Maybe Bigger Pockets is going to listen to this show and say, we should have a pension. They're not going to. But it's it's nice to understand this. And I would like to say, if you are listening to this show and you're like, oh, I don't have a pension. Maybe I don't need to listen. Um, first of all, you do need to listen because Joe Saul Sihai is here. Grumpus Maximus is here. But if, if if this is not something that pertains to you, but you know somebody who could benefit from this information, please share this episode with them because Grumpus comes in and shares just an absolute boatload of information in 
fairly easy to understand terms with regards to, you know, how a pension works and things to consider when you are considering separating from your job that has a pension. I've known Grumpus online for a long time, so I'm excited to meet him finally. And I know that when Grumpus talks, people listen, so I can't wait to listen. <laughs> He's like E.F. Hutton. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. Grumpus Maximus, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today because I don't know anything about pensions. Thank you, Mindy. I'm excited too. I got my excited face on. <laughs> I was wondering how that was different than your normal face, Grumpus. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's it's the same. I have a coffee mug that has all my different emotions, and it's all the same picture that my wife gave me. <laughs> which is no, good, by the we... which is good, by the way. When you're evaluating pensions, like you got to have that same face on, because I mean, I'm sure you're going to talk about it, but don't fall in love with it, right? Don't fall in love with it, and uh, don't fall asleep while trying to analyze it either. So it's good to you know be able to mask. The fact that I fell asleep. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, too late. Because sometimes reading all that paperwork is boring. I would, you know what? I said sometimes it's actually kind of most of the time reading all that paperwork is boring. But not reading all that paperwork can cost you a lot in terms of money, in terms of lifestyle, in terms of uh, time. So something you said to me when I first reached out to you, you said not every defined benefit pension is worth it or worth staying for. Isn't the pension like the best thing ever? Uh, it can be. It depends on the person. So, you know, a defined benefit pension is a pension you get paid 
after you've worked at a place, uh, an, an employer for so long. So that might be government work these days, or it might be one of the few uh, private industry jobs that still have a defined benefit pension in the US. There's only about 8% of them that still offer one. But on the on the public side, you know, at state, local government level, it's still fairly common. So you work at a place for so long, uh, you earn a certain amount of money, and then what happens at the end of that career is that they run that through typically some kind of calculation to determine how much you're going to get paid in retirement. So that's what a defined benefit pension is. And different. every pension is different. Every pension system is different, uh, almost uh, by design that way, uh, because they're designed to keep people at jobs to create worker retention. So the depending on what who's offering the pension and what issues they're trying to overcome to keep people out of job depends on how generous the pension is. and that's where really where you get into the is it worth it the generosity of a pension and also the pension safety helps determine uh, whether or not staying for a pension is worth it because not everybody wants to stay the 20 30 40 years that it takes to qualify for a defined benefit pension okay so i have a question from an i don't have a pension position. If I am working for a job and they have a pension option, is that always a mandatory contribution? Uh, employer by employer. Okay. Uh, so this is one of those things where, uh, again, every pension is a little bit different from each other. So some employers have it mandatory, uh, like many teaching jobs, uh, because they're state or local government jobs, it's mandatory. So you would contribute a certain percentage of your pension. I'm sorry, a certain percentage of your paycheck uh, each month into that pension system. Others, it's optional. Uh, others don't require any contribution at all. Uh, so for me, it, for instance, I'm retired U.S. military. We, didn't, we don't set aside any money out of our paycheck. The government just does that automatically. So it's, you know, it's part, part of the reduced pay you get compared to the private sector. Okay, and if it is mandatory, how do I get that money if I haven't worked there for 20 years? So again, pension by pension, but many pensions let you cash out if you want to leave the job. Uh, so they'll at least cash out what you um, provided or put in as contributions, um, depending on how long you've been there. Um, some may actually allow you to cash out the full, full value. Some pensions don't run a cash value though. So that again, pension by pension, the newer ones actually run a cash value. Uh, the older ones do not run cash values. So um, they may let you take it when you leave and they may not. That's a, th th that's a question that I have because, as you know, a big decision for a lot of people when they take their pension, if they will let them have it as a lump sum, is whether I take it as a lump sum or I take it in monthly payments that, you know, last my guaranteed in uh, lifetime and maybe sometimes the lifetime of people around me, a spouse or somebody. The y You mentioned the word safety, right? Um, and obviously, whether I take that guaranteed lifetime income or not, I would imagine has a lot to do with safety. How do I determine whether my pension is safe and why wouldn't my pension be safe as a pension? I'm assuming based on what you said about safety, my pension might not be guaranteed. Correct. In an ideal world, they are supposed to be super safe, uh, but we don't live in an ideal world. Many pension systems are not well managed or well run, both on the, the government side and the private sector side. 
And there are plenty of horror stories, especially from the 1960s and 70s, of companies going bankrupt and their pension fund either being raided or going bankrupt as well, and therefore not being able to pay out. Now, that that has subsided because the U.S. government put uh, certain rules and laws into action to, to counteract that. But the fact of the matter is there are still pension systems today that are not very well run, and they don't have enough money to meet all future obligations as the actuarial uh, scientists have determined what those what those future obligations are. So there are states like Illinois, it, it is awful, well-known. Kentucky's another one, well-known for their public state, state-run state pensions are in awful, awful fiscal shape. You know, around 30, they have around 30% of the funds they need to meet all future obligations. So when you come to determine a pension safety, you have to look at how well it's funded. And that's the big thing. The uh, Society of uh, Actuarialists uh, actually recommend you look at the trend. So is it on an upward trend of having more and more funds each year? Or is it on a downward trend or has it, you know, gone across and just kind of maintained its funding percentage over the years? Does this have to be public Uh, record? I mean, does it am I allowed to I am allowed to get the information? Yes, correct. And if if nothing else, most of that information is online these days. But if nothing else, if you are a member of a pension system, you should be getting an annual mailing about the health of your pension system. And from there, you can start to determine uh, how well it's funded. Most of the state and local government run pension systems uh, exist within a database that Boston College runs. It's called the Public Pension Database, the PPD. So if you're in a public pension system in the U.S., there's a good chance it's all that information is stored on that database. But if you're in a private pension system, uh, then you're going to have to do some extra legwork and research that. Yeah. Okay. so what can I do as, let's say, a teacher in Illinois where you just said that my pension isn't fully funded? And uh, this is actually kind of a personal question because my sister is a teacher in Illinois. How does she protect herself? She has... 20 years in she she could but she's still working as well can she cash out before she ends work um probably not unless she wanted to leave um and again i don't know you know which exact illinois pension system she is in each one has kind of different rules Um, but some do allow you to take a lump sum if you want to leave and go elsewhere and that's really one of the only ways you can you know, get the money that you feel you are owed. Now that's going to be highly reduced because it's going to be a present day value for, you know, what bit would have been a pension in the future. So therefore they're going to assume, hey, if you cash out, you're going to take that money, you're going to invest it and earn up, you know, grow it to the amount you need to pay yourself in the future, the same level that you would get for working 10 years, 20 years, whatever it is when you decide to leave and or retire. That's the other thing, you know, you could, many pension systems just allow you to take it as a lump sum when you retire. And some people prefer to do that because maybe they either don't trust the system to be there or the pension plan to be there, or they want to leave a legacy beyond uh, just their immediate family, uh, which many, um, all pension systems in the U.S. have to at least provide that option. You can leave it to a spouse or underage children if you have children under the age of 18. So the lump sum is the best way to get the money out if you don't believe uh, the pension system is safe or the pension plan is safe. 
it's not necessarily offered at every time and every level you go along the way. So sometimes there isn't a way to get it out, unfortunately. Now, even in a state like Illinois uh, with, you know, bad, badly managed pensions, uh, they have state worker laws and state contract laws that protect the pensions. In fact, it's written into the state constitution of Illinois that, you know, the state, the pension state system is, is protected. So really, in reality, the question then becomes, well, how much does your sister need to worry if ultimately the Illinois taxpayers are on the hook? Um, maybe that's more of a taxpayer issue and a po political issue than it is a pension safety issue. Uh, but that that's just one more complexity to add to this to this uh, process you have to go to to determine if staying for your pension at a job is worth it. It's interesting. I want to get a little nerdy on Mindy's question, uh, which which at at the next level of that I'm thinking Grumpus that. I mean, if you don't think that your pension's safe, what I hear you basically saying is, who cares about the calculation? You probably want to take the lump sum just to make sure that you get something out of it, right? Like, forget about the monthly payments. Yeah. So, and yeah, in, in my book, that's the very first step of analyzing your pension. I teach people is analyzing pension safety, because if you don't yeah. think your pension is safe, and the you know either you're going to leave if you're caught in you know this mid mid career crisis where you don't know if you want to stay or you want to leave um, you leave because you don't believe the pension's going to be there or at the end of your career if you don't believe the pension plan is going to last then you take that lump sum if it's on offer. I think we now that's not a requirement. Yeah. That's not a requirement. Yeah, I think we just made the the math easy for some people. Like, okay, if I get a lump sum, I will take it. But for the other people, when you're calculating, because you talked about if you take the lump sum, you're going to get a present value number of what those payments would equal over what actuarially I'm sure is your lifetime. But, 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 but I'm, I'm thinking there's got to be some multiplier on that, right? There's got to be some, some assumption of what that money they think is that money would earn if it were invested Correct. versus, versus today. Is, is that a set number for everybody? Or is that just a number that varies from pension to pension that I'll ask, have to ask about? So it, again, it varies. There are federal rules about how high of an assumed return you can use, but they are very generous towards the employer offering the lump sum, meaning, you know, it makes the lump sum smaller was, and smaller. I was going to say that for, for everybody listening, what that means by generous, what Grumpus I think means is they can't say 15% you were going to get on your money. So they offer you only $4 instead of $400,000. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. But, you know, they get to use... From my my research and my understanding, they get to use a very generous rate of return uh, when, when assuming those uh, lump sum values. And I don't know, you know, if you follow the reports, um, there's annual reports that come out on how well just like the individual investor does over time. And, you know, they're nowhere near those yeah. those assumptions. Yeah, of course they're not. OK, so let's say I'm listening to this episode because I'm excited, because I know I have a pension, and this is going to be the best thing ever. And I just heard you tell me that maybe this isn't going to be so great. And I don't have a public job. I have, uh, you know, one of those private employers, one of those 8% that still offers a pension. Um, and I never read any of the stuff that they sent me in the mail because I have a pension and everything's great because that's what they sold me. Where do I go to find out about this information? Is this like an HR question? Is this... Um, you know, do I, 
I guess I would have to go to HR and ask them, you know, bobspension.com, you know, what's the name of the pension company? And then go research that. Is that like, do you yeah. just yeah. type it in Google? And by the way, before you answer that, Krumpus, if, if the name of your pension company is bobspension.com, you probably want out. Yeah, that, that might be an indicator. <laughs> I, I will put that in the next version of my book as an indicator to look for v- for poorly run pension system. V2. Right. So, uh, Mindy, yes, you, you go to HR, especially if you, you're in a private firm that offers them. Now, the good news is, you know, if you're still in a private firm that still offers them. That means the firm's probably been offering it for some time and they know what they're doing because all the other ones have gotten out of the business of providing them. Uh, but a pension um, is a human resource tool. It is a tool that employers use for retention. So therefore, it is run uh, through the benefits portion of employment, which typically runs through HR, right? So um, a, a visit to HR is always a good first step if you have more questions about a pension. There are, will, may be also pension reps within the the employer. So those would be workers who have volunteered to to sit through the pension meetings and, you know, make sure, try and ensure that the pension system is being well run and the employees' uh, best interests are being looked after. So those might be uh, other people you might want to approach if you have questions about your pension. But ultimately, it is probably going to come down to the individual employee needs to do their own research. Um, hopefully, they've been pointed the way towards where those resources are so they can start uh, going through those resources. You mentioned the word generous earlier about whether a pension's worth it or not. It depends on how generous companies are. What are some of the metrics that help me know whether a company is being generous with a pension or if they're being stingy? So that's that's a great question because, you know, up to this point, we made it sound like pensions are all bad and they're not. Like there are some great things about pensions and the guaranteed income in retirement is one of them. Um, but some pensions also have other benefits added on. They have a cost of living adjustment. So in a year like this year, where you have 5% annual inflation, the, your pension next year is going to adjust upwards based off inflation. Um, so that's like my military pension. We found out just recently, I think we're getting 4.9 or 5.0 increase in our pensions next year. Um, because of inflation, right? So a COLA is one extremely generous benefit that would mark a, uh, a pension that's more worth it than others. Healthcare is another one. Now, not, not all healthcare is provided through the pension system, but some are, and then many are also packaged into the greater defined benefits package that you get at the end of a career. But just as an aside, so is to stop right there for just a second, because I think this is key. If you take it as a lump sum, that also for some of these companies might mean you forfeit that health insurance that you're talking yes. about. Correct. Correct. Or if you leave early, that's the other one, right? So, you know, determining if you're midway through a career and you don't know if you, you know, have the stamina, the ability, or even the, even the heart to, you know, want to do this for the next 10, 20, 15 years, whatever it is, uh, leaving that healthcare, uh, on the table it is potentially costly. And in fact, I just, in April, finished my master's thesis for which I ran Hey-o. a pension survey. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a total nerd now, right? Total pension nerd now. Um, but in, in my survey, so my survey asked, hey, 
for those who went through a stay or go decision somewhere in their pensionable career, what were the, the features, the added features within a, your pension system that made you think the most about staying? Healthcare was the number one added feature, and it was number one by more than 10 percentage points over number two and three. So healthcare is always on the top of the list for American, a US-based pension pensioners or pensionable workers, uh, where it may not be so much in other countries like Canada that has a nationalized healthcare system. Uh, but definitely, if you're in a U.S. pension and healthcare is tied to your to your U.S. pension, that is a more generous pension than than ones that don't have healthcare tied to it. Yeah, for sure. That's one of the number one questions that I get. Uh, usually, the the show is focused on the journey of an early retiree, and that's one of the number one questions: is what do I do for healthcare in the U.S. Sure. once I'm retired? Because your healthcare is tied to your job, which is so stupid. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. What are some other things you said? Healthcare is number one, ten percent over numbers two and three. What else? What other options are there? Uh, there's the immediate payout. Uh, so many many pension systems will not pay you until you reach a certain age. Uh, some pension systems will pay you upon reaching a certain tenure, or reaching a combination of tenure and age, uh, often known as the eighty rule for. Uh, for the pension systems that use that. So it's a combination of tenure plus your age. If they add up to over 80 or 80 or over, then then you can take your pension right away. But for instance, again, U.S. military or even the federal federal government, um, sometimes if, if you, like I hit 20 years and retired, my pension started the next month. So that's an immediate pay and it pays me for the rest of my life. So therefore that is far more valuable of a pension than a pension where I would have to wait till 65 to start collecting the money. Uh, because I, A, I'm just gonna get more payments over time and B, that just provides me a greater flexibility within retirement instead of having to re rely on my investments or, or other things to get me through to the point where the pension starts paying. So immediate payout was the number two uh, pension feature that made people consider staying the most from from my analysis. Um, I've already mentioned COLA, again, a, a very costly um, but generous uh, feature to provide for for um, for employers. It, it, it's costly for them because they keep having to pay more and more money each year because inflation typically always goes up. Uh, let me think of some other ones. I'm trying to remember number three. Um, I'm blanking now. This is great. The, the pension expert. Oh, so a, a generous multiplier oh, would yeah. be uh, another one. So I mentioned the formula earlier. Um, so typically it's, you know, the number of years you worked um, multiplied by a calculation of your final salary. That final salary may have been your last three years averaged, your last five years averaged, your last 10 years averaged. Um, and then it, all of that is then again multiplied by a, what they call a multiplier, which is a percentage. So in, in my case, uh, the multiplier was 2.5. So for every year, you got 2.5%. Um, and then that at that, you know, when you retire, all that's calculated out and your pension, what you get paid is is that value. So, for instance, I did 20 years. You multiply that by two point five, uh, you get 50 um, percent. Right. So I got 50 percent of my final three years of salary average together. And obviously for most um, people, the last three years way better than five or seven or whatever it might be. 
Correct. Yeah. So that's that's called backloading, right? So when the pension is tied to, to final salary, again, another way to incentivize people to stay in a job longer is you know, the promise of more money in retirement by, by having a highly higher salary when you retire. Well, not all multipliers are as high as 2.5. Some are, you know, much lower. Um, so therefore you have to work much longer in, in order to earn a decent percentage uh, for payment in retirement. I'm wondering if most of those more backloaded pensions also have a healthier vesting schedule, meaning they make it harder to get money in the early years, because I think the more they backload it, the harder it would be for the people managing the pension fund money to make enough to make sure that it continues well. True. So um, I think on the public side, most most pensions have to, to vest within five years. Uh, you can either partial vest up to 10, I think, as well. Um, but you know after that that after vesting that means you're going to get some money in retirement you won't necessarily get a lot because if you only worked five years you vested and then you you quit and went to another job uh a you shouldn't expect you know a large pay out of that and b inflation is going to be working against you until you actually reach the age where where you can where you can take that pension right so you know, backloading has works in multiple ways uh, in order to entice people to stay longer and longer and longer at, at the pension. It's not only, you know, the salary issue, it's how close you get to the, the payout year when you can actually start drawing your pension. Uh, but on a, on a private side, can that be whatever the hell they want it to be? Yeah, it can yeah. be. You know, there, there's um, as long as they meet the very few federal requirements, again, like offering survivorship. Yeah. Um, you know, there isn't much governing um, how little or how much like those percentage multipliers can be. Okay, you just said survivorship. And that leads to my next question. Before you said this pays me for the rest of my life. So what happens when you pass, but your spouse is still living or you pass and you still have living children? Um, is that what you mean by survivorship? And do yes. they continue? And is there a point where let's say you pass, God forbid, very soon and your spouse lives to be 150 years old. Is there a point where the money runs out or the payout runs out? Yes, there could be. So again, every pension system's a little bit different, um, but you know, a lot of the, especially state or local public uh, pension funds have like the slew of options for payouts, right? Anywhere from, you know, total lump sum and cashing it all out to partial lump sum and then continuing for 20 years on up and up. And then when you start throwing survivorship on top of it, they also offer different options. Um, but kind of generically, if, for instance, like in, in the U.S. federal system, you know, you elect survivorship and then that survivorship takes over. You elect it at a certain percentage. Uh, so for us military, the highest percentage we can elect to pass on to our spouses is 55 percent of of our pension payments. So. You know, the thing is, when you elect survivorship, that means you are electing a smaller amount while you are still alive because there's skimming some off the top as an insurance payment, right? Because it's essentially what you're signing up for is, is insurance to, to be able to transfer that value over to your spouse or your underage children. Which brings, oh. up, a, which brings up a good question, which is, 
So it, let's say that you lose 10% of your pension to have survivorship. I'm, not, I'm just making these numbers up, Grumpus. So just stick with right. me, even if they, nope. but let's say we, we, we give up 10% of my full payout so that my spouse can also have some coverage. But then uh, she dies first. I know on some pensions it pops up, but let's say that it doesn't, meaning that I can go back to my 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 full uh, uh, my full amount. But on the vast majority, they don't. If instead of giving that up for the insurance, does it make sense to actually look at my own insurance policy where maybe I have that for X amount of time? And then let's say I get to the age that I got enough money and I don't even need it anymore. I just dump the insurance. And of course, because we're talking long term, this has to be a permanent policy. I can't imagine trying to do this with a term policy. So if we do this with a permanent policy, I take it out. I take whatever cash value there is. And I then just we just live on the whole thing. Yeah. So that is always the option is that you, you know, you could go for survivorship specifically, you could go and seek a private insurance policy to cover the difference. Um, now, it gets a little bit complicated if your uh, pension has a COLA and that COLA is transferred in the survivorship. So therefore it's yeah. inflation protected um, because not a lot of life insurance policies are inflation protected and you're gonna pay more for an inflation protected life insurance policy. And I just but thought of you the, don't have a, I also just thought of the health insurance, by the way, as well. Yeah, 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 true. Right. So there's there's the other thing. Now now healthcare, if it's provided to the family and the pensioner dies, often is the family is allowed to continue for a certain length of time uh, in the healthcare. And for the spouse that may be for the rest of their life, as long as they continue to pay whatever insurance premiums are required. But that's not that's not written in law anywhere. So, yeah. you know, again, that could be pension system, the pension system. That's something you need to, to ask and research. Um, but going back to kind of the larger question, could I just take a lump sum and buy a an insurance annuity instead of, you know, relying on the pension annuity? Certainly you could. It is, there isn't a lot of research on it, but there has been some and um, I can't remember which branch of the federal government tried to figure it out about 10 years ago. And it turned out that the insurance annuity was like 1.5 times more costly than what it was to just stick within your pension system yeah. if you wanted to take the pension annuity. I wasn't even talking about taking the whole thing as a lump sum. I was just talking about taking that difference between the survivorship number. Let's say it's a thousand dollars. And it's $900 if I take the survivorship. I take that $100 and instead, I take that $100, and, and which I would have lost anyway, and I buy my own life insurance with it, right? Which will then cover it. Yeah, you could do that. Yeah. You could do that. You know, again, you're going to have to run the calculations on, on whether or yeah. not that's cost effective. Well, and I um, think to your point, the healthcare kills it. Immediately for me, I don't know that, I mean, how do I, how do I justify getting rid of healthcare for my spouse? Yeah, that's that's if it's tied to to transferring the pension over through survivorship. If it's not so for instance again, the military system, you know, just because we did I did 20 years, my spouse is now el eligible as a spouse of a retiree uh for life as long as we don't get divorced. Um so or she knocks me off and she would get it, you know. <laughs> I don't I don't have Grumpus Maximus as a moniker for no reason at all, right? It is kind of tough to live with me from time to time. Do pensions typically have 
an end date. Like, let's say that in the situation I shared where your wife lives to be 150, let's say you live to be 150. You said they pay you for the rest of the of your life. Is there, are they just assuming that the end of your life is 80, whatever the average is, or will they continue on and on and on? Generically speaking, they're going to continue on and on and on. So that is not true of every pension system. Uh, again, going back to the types of pensions that offer a, a menu of different payout options, some of those options are timed. So, you know, they'll pay you for 20 years or they'll pay you for 30 years. The advantage is you're going to get more each payment than you would otherwise, right? So if you just let it run till the end of your life, they're just going to use the actuarial assumptions of you being, you know, a white female, certain age, on average, you're going to live this length of time. Uh, and then, the, you know, obviously some people are going to live longer. Some people are going to live shorter. And, you know, just like insurance works, you know, you kind of average out the group and that's how you continue to have money in the pot to be able to pay out because some people die early, some people die late. Right. Um, but again, it goes back to the individual pension system and what, what they offer is payout options over time. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost, so combined finances become a breeze. 
customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Okay, so what I keep hearing you say, and it's not like I'm not trying to say, you know, you just keep saying it depends, it depends, but it it really does depend and it's all specific to the pension that you're part of. So what I'm hearing you suggest to all of our listeners who have pensions is this is a research opportunity. And if you have a pension and you want to be able to take any part of that pension as a payout, as a lump sum, whatever, you need to do your research. You need to dive into your pension specifics and talk to HR, talk to your pension reps and get all the information that you need about your specific plan. Um, but the the health insurance thing is that's huge. Well, and also, yeah. well, and also, Mindy, to to add on to what you're saying, what I'm hearing too from Grumpus is that, I mean, these are irrevocable decisions. It's not like whether I'm choosing six percent or eight percent to go into my 401k, and I can go back and change it tomorrow. Like I, when you say need to do your research. Like this is a, you got one shot. So this isn't something you pick up the day before or 15 minutes before and just casually check a box. Like there's, there's some decent math here. There is. And, you know, I don't want people to be put off or intimidated by it. I've tried to make it simple on my website because I'm not the smartest cookie. Um, but, you know, other people are smarter than me. So I provided a bunch of different ways to try and help people uh, do all that research and figure out all their various options, especially if they're consider leaving the, the, the career, the pensionable career behind for greener pastures, uh, but also as they prepare for retirement as well. Because you're right, Joe, the, there is no undoing a survivorship election. And, you know, the risk of getting survivorship wrong is that you die early and then your, your um, dependents don't have enough money in what would have been retirement and maybe a spouse has to return to work or a teenage, you know, um, offspring, a son or daughter has to go and get a job just to help support the family or something like that. That would be, you know, the worst situation you could leave behind. Uh, and again, you're right. It's, it's you make this decision once and you live with the consequences. Um, so again, uh, and Mindy, I am saying you have to do the research. Uh, some pension systems are a lot easier to research than others, like the federal government. The first system uh, is fairly well known. I mean, there are a lot of people in that system and you don't have to worry about pension safety with FERS unless you really think the U.S. federal government is just going to stop paying people at some point in the future. If that happens, I think the world is going to have larger economic problems than than your pension getting paid or not. Um, but, you know, for the for the other person, for the non you know, federal employee in the U.S. who who earns a pension, there is going to be some research involved and some um, educational guesswork as to what you think the future entails. 
which could be anything from the inflation rates, you know, when you retire, what age you think you're going to die, or how likely it is that your pension system will pay out the amount that's promised. Now, Mindy, I want to circle back. So healthcare is huge for people who are trying to fire. So people who are trying to reach financial independence and retire early, healthcare is huge uh, in the U.S. Uh, because oftentimes they don't have another way to pay for it for those intervening years. So let's, you know, you assume like the standard retirement age is 65. Well, Medicare kicks in, you know, r- right around that time, right? So if you're, you have a pension and even if it doesn't have health care, but you plan to retire at 65, you know, health care is going to be used. You're going to have the health care through, um, through Medicare. But if you're retiring at 55, or 45 and you know the the healthcare doesn't kick in until the pension payments start at 60 62 or 65 healthcare is huge because your other option is you go and you know fund it yourself probably this is this is a conundrum i see a lot of fers so again back to the us federal government um, pension system there there are very few loopholes to earn your uh earn your medical uh, insurance early. So it, it is very much tied up into reaching a certain age and a certain amount of time that you work for the US federal government. And so if you try and retire at 45 or 55 and first healthcare doesn't kick in until much later down the line, then trying to figure out what your other options are are huge. And I'm sure you've talked about it on your podcast before, just trying to plan for healthcare and retirement. If you don't know what the costs are going to be from year to year, it's extremely hard. Yeah, you don't even know what the costs are going to be from year to year now. How can you possibly plan for potential inflation? Potential inflation, like there's not going to be a bunch of inflation coming our way. Right. All the money that we've been writing. Potential inflation and potential increases. I'd really love to see the healthcare system overhauled, but I've wanted to see the healthcare system overhauled since 1986 when that HMA, HMO made it so hard to go and see the doctor and, you know, it hasn't gotten any better. Um, I I can't imagine trying to plan for that right now. I just keep working because then I can't. Yeah. And, you know, so having pension subsidized healthcare helps you know what the costs are going to be or helps you kind of plan for a range of costs. Uh, well into the future, uh, because, you know, depending on, again, how generous the pension system is, they may be covering a large amount of those costs um, as far as deductibles and stuff like that go, too. So, you know, not to brag, not to make people jealous, but again, the U.S. military, uh, you get access to TRICARE for the rest of your life. Well, you know, the premiums I pay right now as a retiree for for a family of four are a small percentage of what most people who are using the open market for health insurance pay uh, for a family of four. It's a little bit more than what I paid for when I was active duty, but not much. I mean, it's very, very easy to plan for those costs. If somebody's hung out with us this far, Grumpus, and... Uh, and, and not asleep. And, no, well, no. <laughs> They're not drooling on their I, keyboard at this point. Actually, maybe, maybe it's that I'm a nerd about this stuff, but I've loved every minute of this. But if they followed us so far and they don't have a pension, right? You know, you say things and people that don't have a pension might be drooling over this lifetime guaranteed income. That's a pretty kick ass notion for people. Is it worth it for somebody without a pension to go chase this idea themselves to figure out a way to get it to get it on their own? 
Another great question, Joe. Um, so, and I have academic research that can back up this question. So it turns out that uh, a large percentage of people who work in pensionable jobs were attracted by the long-term guarantees of both employment and retirement income. I can imagine, uh, yeah. Res academic researchers have termed a coin for those people. They're, they're called stayers because they're gonna, they're gonna find that long-term employment and they're gonna stay. And the idea of lifetime income on the backside in the form of a pension is just yet another reason that would make them stay. Now that's not everybody who works in a pensionable job, but it is a large percentage. So what that tells you is there's a certain type of worker or employee out there that is attracted to this type of, of incentive. And therefore they would seek out those jobs uh, because it's going to help them uh, the job itself probably is going to help them achieve some standard of living that they want to live. Typically, that's middle class. And therefore, the standard in retirement is going to stay fairly consistent as well. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily match the bulk of the American workforce today. And, and you know, there are the trade-offs for taking a job that has a pension. You, you almost guaranteed are electing a job that is going to pay you less yeah. in your employment years in order to get the incent, uh, in order to get that incentive, that pension on the backside in, re in your retirement years. So, you know, you have to be willing to make that trade-off as an employee and not everybody is willing. And then a lot of people just aren't willing to let other people manage their financial future. Uh, you know, so it, again, it kind of goes back to what your personality is, but certainly there are people who will be salivating over the idea of a pension and, and all the safety and uh, security that that provides in retirement. Boy, and it seems like those people you talk, you're talking about those stayers, Grumpus, are the more conservative investors, right? They kind of, I would imagine, have a conservative lifestyle. I feel better if I've got, if I can have the same job, it gives me lifetime income, gives me all these things, which leads me to ask that thing, because whenever we talk about lifetime guaranteed income and we say pension, people go, oh, that's great. But then you say the other word, the nasty A word, you say annuity, people are like, nope, forget it, not going to do it. Is there such a thing as a good annuity? Is there such a thing? Uh, well, I think within the modern day pension plans, they have started providing more flexibility for people like that, right? So there are these hybrid pensions that allow you kind of to direct, you have to contribute, but then you can direct your contributions to how they're invested, kind of more 401k style, right? Oh, wow, okay. Now that's, that isn't widespread. Yeah. Those are uh, those are newer within, you know, from roughly 2000 onwards, um, being offered a little bit more and more each year within, within the US, uh, because A, they're cheaper for employers to provide, and B, they're more flexible, and the, uh, certain employees like them more. Uh, but going back to your question about is there a good annuity, well, I certainly think there is a great, you know, reason or uh, I would rate the annuity I receive every month from the U.S. you know, Department of Defense as a good annuity. I mean, I, I even though I struggled towards the end of my career with with staying and having health issues and stuff like that, I certainly now that I'm two years into retirement and I get that steady paycheck month after month, no matter what happens, despite COVID, despite the stock market spiking and crashing, uh, that money just keeps coming in no matter what. There's a lot of goodness to that. I mean, that makes life planning um, 
a lot easier, even in a fire uh, lifestyle, than than many others uh, who are just relying on their investments would would have. So yes, there is some goodness to to an annuity. You, you as the individual just have to determine if you know the amount of life you give up in order to work in 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 a pensionable career is worth that that um, guaranteed annuity on the back end. Which, by the way, Grumpus, is is specifically my soapbox, Mindy, which is the annuity company is effing this up. There, t- there are people that want to buy them, but the way that annuities get sold, the way that they're loaded with all these unnecessary fees, so p- people, you know, so the annuity company rolls it. It doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be like that. There are plenty of people like Rumpus is talking about that would buy the damn thing if if the annuity companies would just do the right thing. Not enough annuity companies out there that that make this not a minefield. And I don't know if anybody in the financial industry is listening or can change something. Please, God, do it. You know, um, again, did some academic research for my master's and I came across um, what economists call the annuity puzzle. And it, the puzzle is why more people don't buy uh, immediate annuities. Uh, because from an economic standpoint, assuming the annuity is safe, which, you know, an economic economists make a lot of assumptions, but assuming the annuity is, is with a company that um, that is, you know, a reputable company and everything like that, you know, the, the odds are it's a much better for you to buy an annuity than try and invest your own money. Um, but but, you know, the, the puzzle is more people don't take it up. So, I mean, we're talking like Nobel award winning economists that tried to study this over time. I went to it. I went to a symposium that was a bunch of industry experts and a few of us from the media at MIT. And MIT has been working on, to your point, Krumpus, this exact issue. And and they're the reason that most of us came up with that annuities are sold and not purchased, to your point, is because the annuity industry has done it to themselves. They have totally done it and, 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 and by all the stuff, like everybody was sitting in a circle and they were talking just based on what some of these company officials were talking about. They don't freaking get it. Like they don't get how distrusted they are by the average person. I, I feel like if, if they built it on a, on a more trustful platform, d- 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 all the math works out to your point. Just it, it sh- they should be purchased. They should. Okay. Be. So this is shocking to me that Joe Salcihai, former financial planner would say an annuity is not an automatic, no way. Why would you ever? I consider myself. Oh, they're horrible. So I consider myself to be fairly well-versed in money and I'm not a CFP level well-versed, but you know, I talk about it on a podcast. So clearly you can't put it on the internet if it's not all true. Um, But I have never heard anybody say anything other than an annuity is an absolute garbage thing, except for people who have gone to the the presentations and they're like, oh, yeah, totally. That's great. I've never had a good experience with annuity and I don't have any personal experience, but, you know, relatives have had them and it's just garbage. So this is very interesting that you don't hate it off the bat, Joe. And Grumpus is he's got a master's in being smart, so he is not hating on it either. I think a what? master's in pensions. A master's in pensions, a master's right. in being well-versed in money. <laughs> well, don't get me How wrong. How do you start? 
Don't get me wrong, Mindy. Annuities are beatable, but but I love what Grumpus is saying, which is for a really conservative investor, somebody will give up that upside potential, right? The more conservative people among us will give up that upside potential with with being able to sleep at night. There are those people out there, so it's not ever going to be for everybody. But and there's a few companies that are doing it that are doing a good job, but they're so hard for the average person to find that it's easier to just say, forget it, I'm not going there. Sorry, I, I just turned this into the annuity discussion. <laughs> yeah, well, let me steer it a little bit back towards pensions. Thank, thank like, you. <laughs> so, yes, the, the companies may be screwing it up, but, you know, the, the take-up rate on lump sums from pensions also indicates that there's some, there's some human behavior element as well. So there have been studies that have shown, like, as high as 50% of people who have the potential to take a lump sum instead of a pension annuity will take the lump sum. And the number one reason for that is trust. And the second reason for that is because they want to control their own money. Yeah. So there is some human behavior to this. And again, so a pension is not for everybody. And those people may not realize it till later in life that, um, you know, hey, I, I do better with managing my own money. So, you know, even though I'm in this pensionable job, I only got 10 more years, I'm going to stay. But at the end, I'm going to take that lump sum and I'm going to do what I want with that money. Or, or maybe they're married to somebody with a pension, so their spouse is, already, is going to take the annuity and they're going to take the lump sum. Yeah, a lot of planning. Yeah. Well, I can understand why somebody wouldn't want to continue with the 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 minimum payments and, and go with the lump sum. Like you said, the trust issue. I keep reading all these stories about, oh, the California Teachers Union invested in this and lost money or, you know, the Illinois, let's just kick Illinois while they're down. The Illinois Teachers Union invested in this and lost a ton of money. Uh, if I'm in a teachers union, I'm going to want to know what I'm investing in. It's the same thing that they just invested in, lost a lot of money. I'm taking my money and running. I can see that that being a huge issue. Um, I wonder what percentage of people who are taking the lump sum because of lack of trust are in these pensions that are being talked about in the news about how they don't have any funding for, you know, they can't meet their future obligations for, you know, past three years or whatever it was you said earlier versus like a regular company. And they're like, oh, I don't know if they're going to be around. Yeah, I I don't have any uh, statistics off the top of my head, but, you know, it, practically speaking or log logically speaking, I would say that assuming the, the employee is paying attention to what's going on with the pension fund, they only typically start to do that later in their career. Um, if they if they see that the pension fund is struggling, they're probably going to take the lump sum. Uh, the the take-up rates on lump sums are just too high for me to believe uh, otherwise, uh, that people aren't going to try and cash out of a system that they think is in financial peril. Uh, now, again, not every pension system offers a lump sum. It's not a requirement. Um, so, again, it depends on what pension plan you're in and what the rules are as to whether or not you would even be offered a lump sum. Now, a lot of companies and uh, pension systems like to offer the lump sum because it gets that obligation off their books, right? That's a future financial obligation. Uh, they don't necessarily know what's going to happen in the future. They have these generous discount rates that allow them to calculate these lump sums at a smaller value than what you might otherwise think uh, the person is owed over time. Uh, so it's just easy for them to write a check. And, and this is actually what it's called in economics. It's called uh, pension risk transfer. 
they transfer the risk to the to the retiree or to the person taking the lump sum that risk is running out of money in retirement so you know a pension system they assume that risk if you take the annuity because they got to continue paying you the employer or the retiree taking the lump sum assumes that risk otherwise is there any correlation between pensions that offer the lump sum and employers that have mandatory pension contributions uh, none that I've seen. There might be, but yeah, none none that I see. Why? I, I'm just wondering, you know, let's say I'm a teacher in Illinois and I am required. I don't have the option to not contribute to my pension, but then I retire and the pension's like, oh, <laughs> just kidding. We don't have any money. Like what, what do I do at that time? I'm 65. I'm planning on my pension carrying me to my sunset. And all of a sudden... Not only did I have to contribute, it's not even there anymore. Yeah. So again, that's if you're in a public system, that's going to come down to what you know state and contract law or contract laws in your state. Um, so again, you know, if you're in Illinois, where the state constitution says the taxpayers are going to come up with the money somehow, um, maybe you're not so so poor off. If you're in a state maybe like Texas that doesn't have a law like that, then you know maybe you need to be worried and you hopefully have started looking at that as you approach closer and closer to retirement. Now I, you know, on my website and in my book, I try to, you know, teach people different ways you can discount uh, the amount that you, that you technically would be owed uh, based off the pension safety issue. You know, a really simple way is you just, you look at the, the funding percentage of your pension, you know, if it's 40% funded against future obligations, and, you know, you can go onto your pension calculator. Hopefully it's on a website somewhere. And you punch in, hey, I'm going to work this long. By the time I'm retired, I'll be earning this much salary. So here's, you know, my estimated pension. And then you just discount it by 60%. Um, you know, so that's that's one rough way of trying to reduce the reliance upon your pension within your retirement plan. Um, because... You definitely, if, if you are in a pensionable job and, you know, you, you're not going to quit, you're not going to go and work elsewhere, you're going to stay and you know that pension's in potential safety trouble, then you need to make other plans. Um, you need to start saving money and investing, you know, through whatever options. Now, hey, the great news is there that uh, a lot of these, you know, especially public pension, um, pensionable jobs offer other ways to invest like a 403b or a, a 457 right so there are other ways the conundrum is typically you're getting paid less as a state employee so maybe you don't have the extra cash the disposable cash to actually utilize those vehicles you know and as the millionaire educator has pointed out a lot of these 403bs and 457s are not particularly well stocked with great investment options either um so then so then maybe you look to some other kind of alternate form of income in retirement like property from rent, you know rental income or you know you just try and go out in the stock market and and just grow your money on your own through an IRA or even just through a normal taxable investment account so you know, I did listen. I listened to the episode you guys had with the teacher. I think it was a couple months ago from New Jersey, in which, um, you know, she was trying to decide whether she 
should stay at a pensionable teaching job within New Jersey where she wasn't making much, but she was, you know, actually saving and utilizing uh, the other vehicles offered to her uh, or go out into the corporate world and move somewhere else in the U.S., kind of where it would be more advantageous for her to, you know, start the rental uh, income empire that she she wanted to start. Uh, you know, that is what I term the, the, a perfect golden albatross uh, moment. And the golden albatross moment is, you know, that point in a pensionable career where someone starts questioning whether or not staying for the long term is really worth it, is really within their best interests. And, you know, people hit that point at different stages of their life. When I ran my pension survey for my master's thesis, 50% of the people never even questioned whether or not staying for was worth it, but the other 50% did, right? So, you know, at some point in their career, uh, they, they came to this point where, you know, they just started questioning whether or not uh, staying for it in the long term was worth it economically compared to the other things that they had going on in their life. I think, sadly, to your point, Krupis, what we discount is that we got one shot, right? I mean, unless reincarnation is a thing, then maybe we do yeah, have multiple well, shots. But if not, we've I'm got to- I'm totally coming back as a fly if that happens. <laughs> You're not going to live long then, though. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> I'll reincarnate again. Uh, uh, one quick question. There's the, you know, when, when pensions have gone under in the past, General Motors and other ones, the Pension Benefit uh, Guarantee Corporation, uh, PBGC, steps in. Are, yes. are, are all pensions required to have that coverage? Private pensions. So the PBGC, so that's a public uh, uh, pension benefit guarantee corporation. If it sounds like an insurance to you, it, it is. It's just a government, U.S. federal government run insurance. So private pension systems, so, you know, companies as opposed to state, local, federal pension systems, they don't have to, but most do pay into the PBGC. Within the PBGC, there are two different insurance schemes. There's ones for the single em employers, so GM, GE, you know, companies that, you know, only, only they're not a rough way to to equate this is they're not paying you unionized members. So if you work for a company, that company is going to be paying you your pension. And then there's the multiple employer pension system as well. So uh, that is, let's say you're an auto worker and you, you bounced around from, you know, Ford to Chevrolet to, to different, you know, companies. Well, they're all paying into the same pension system for the United Auto Workers Union or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, the bad news is the single employer uh, payment system is pretty well funded. The multi-employer uh, payment system is awfully funded. In fact, they're gonna run out of money in, in less than 10 years. Um, so that means even if they step in and your your union pension is goes bankrupt and they step in, you are still going to get a major, major haircut on your pension. Wow. Whereas if, if you work for a single employer company and, and your pension is through them, um, the likelihood is that all the money is going to be there. Now, the federal government will only guarantee up to a certain amount. So if you're, you know, an executive or you're, you know, top management at that company, you probably won't get your entire pension, but you will at least get a high proportion of it. Which which means going back to that 
403B or 457, and your point about those, I'll save my rant. I did my annuity rant today. We'll save our rant about 457s and 403Bs to next time. But I guess a good point is, is that if you take the lump sum off the pension, and I don't think we ever made this clear for a lot of people, although it's considered a taxable event, there's no tax due if you do it correctly, because you can do, you are allowed to do a direct rollover from that pension money into an IRA. So there will be zero tax due. You have to show the IRS you did it, but but no tax due. So if you're going to take it as a lump sum, people remember to, remember to check that box. Yeah, and, and definitely ensure that that's the case. Yeah. Because uh, again, most pension systems will allow you to do it. Um, but not, it's not, it's not a guarantee that they will. So check before you make, make the lump sum decision. And yeah, definitely, uh, avoid the taxable event and roll it over into an IRA or something like that. Um, it's interesting. Even some international pensions offer that option too for U.S. citizens. So again, check, check your pension system and find out what their rules are. Uh, another great thing we didn't talk about for the lump sum, and I don't want to make this a lump sum episode, but um, uh, like if you're a teacher um, and you want to move states, uh, those pension systems don't talk to each other, right? So what oh. happens is, you know, you have a decision. You either leave that money that you invested in the old pension system and your your previous state behind, and then, you know, whenever you reach pension age, it will just pay you out a, a small pension, you could potentially take out the lump sum depending on the rules. Um, and then when you get to your new state, you could take that lump sum potentially and put it back into the pension system, or you can use it to buy back years um, in your new pension system. So meaning like if you, I've only worked 10 years, but I buy 10 years, then the pension tr system treats me like I've actually worked for 20 and therefore my pension is going to reflect a, an increased amount Bam. when I retire. Yeah. So the lump sum often is the only way for uh, state workers that want to go from one state to another to transfer any kind of remote value from the previous pension system. So yet another calculation they have to make on whether or not that's worth doing. So fascinating, though. It is. So in, in that in that certain in that specific situation, I would advise, you know, find find an accountant that knows what the hell they're doing between those two states and and their pension and tax laws. Mindy, I wish you'd written a book about this. You think do you think maybe we could ask him if he's written a book about this? Grumpus, you should write a book about this. Well, that's what Choose FI thought, too. And so <laughs> they, they actually took pity on me and, and published the book that I wrote. Sadie, so wait um, a minute. You've written a book about this? I have actually not only a master's thesis, but a book as well. <laughs> what a great segue, Joe. Totally smooth. So, Grumpus, what is the name of your book and where can people find it? So the name of the book is The Golden Albatross, How to Determine If Your Pension is Worth It. And you can find it at local bookstores and online bookstores uh, in your great uh place where you live. So it's available on Amazon, or you can go to the Choose FI website or my website, uh, grumpusmaximus.com, and, and find links there. So yeah, uh, Choose FI would be happy if, if you bought that book. Well, I hope you would be happy if you bought that book too. Uh, yeah, we love Choose FI. We're great friends with, the, uh, with jo Jonathan and Brad. I almost called him Joe because I'm looking at Joe. Yeah. yeah. Wrong brand. <laughs> Different <laughs> brand. <laughs> Okay, Grumpus Maximus, where can people find out more about you? 
So as I mentioned, I got a website, grumpusmaximus.com. That's where I blog. Everything on there is for free. I don't even do advertising. So uh, that would be my first stop if you have more uh, pension questions. I also run a Facebook group uh, for pensioners or or uh, pensionable employees. So if you're in a job with a pension or you have a spouse, you, we allow a spouses in because often it's the spouse that does the money in the family. Uh, and the worker, you know, just concentrates on working. So you can go to the Facebook group. It's called Golden Albatross Golden Handcuffs. Or you can find me on Twitter at uh, Maximus Grumpus or uh, Instagram on Grumpus Maximus 2. That's T-O-O. Okay. We will link to all of these in our show notes, which can be found at biggerpockets.com slash money show 259. Grumpus, thank you so much for your time today. Pensions are kind of a bowl of spaghetti, but I think that, you know, just like a bowl of spaghetti, you can pick one strand out and figure it out. You don't have to worry about all the other ones. Just get the one you want. Just get the one that pertains to you. And I'm really excited for people who have a pension. We haven't talked about pensions. I don't know that much. Everybody listening is like, yeah, no kidding. (laughs) But I'm glad that you were able to come and share some advice with us and, and shed a little bit of light on this very confusing topic. I really appreciate you. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you for having me. This has been a great opportunity. I finally got to meet both of you, at least virtually. Um, So it's been a fun time. And hopefully uh, the listeners out there are still awake. If nothing else, maybe your sister can listen to this episode (laughs) and uh, learn a little something. I hope so. Okay, Grumpus, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, that was Grumpus Maximus from GrumpusMaximus.com, author of Golden Albatross. And Joe... I really got a lot out of that episode, clearly, because obviously I didn't know anything before we started talking to Grumpus. What did you think of the show? I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was comprehensive. I thought that at the very least, if you went away from this not realizing that you got one shot at this, so you should really dig in. If you have a pension, you definitely need to dig in to get it right, because the fact that it's an irrevocable decision that decision you make, and it's going to be so important. Also, the ideas around healthcare. I thought healthcare was, uh, you know, this recurring theme that came up. Vesting, how long does it take to vest? This idea of generosity, right? Uh, uh, how many years and is the pension backloaded? Like some of those ideas he was able to make so entertaining, but also valuable at the same time and give us lots and lots of tips that I feel like, uh, man, if you run across a pension at the very least, I feel like you've got a little bedrock to work from. I agree. I think that he had a lot of answers that were variations of, you know, it depends on the actual rules of the pension. But what I heard him say is, It boils down to you need to read your documents. If you have a pension, you need to know what your benefits are, when you get them, how much you can get, and is it even worth staying? And in some cases, like he's got a military pension. Oh, my goodness. He said the last couple of years, it was kind of tough to stay. You know what? At a military pension and I'm 18 years in, I'm going two more years. Two more years, yeah. Two more years with 50% of his pay For the rest of his life, even if he lives to be 150, that seems like a no-brainer to give two more years to the company. On the other hand, if he's got to give six more years to get 1% of his salary for 12 months after he retires, that's a no-brainer to not stay. Forget about it, as they say. (laughs) Absolutely. Forget about it. You know, so I thought... No, because you need to finish up that thought because I've got a whole nother 
thought. Wow, what a surprise. No, I just I thought it was very, very helpful to hear him explain the different options. But, you know, the bottom line is get out your documents, read through them. When they send the annual report, read through that. Start educating yourself so you know what's there. Yeah. And then start that math uh, early. You know, when you're looking at the 20 years like he was looking at, have that math done over and 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 and run different scenarios. If I'm married, especially with all those spousal options, there's so many different options. What's if, 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 you know, if it's Cheryl and I, if Cheryl dies first, if I die first, if both of us live for a long time, if neither one of us live for a long time, like we talked about maybe, you know, using an insurance policy instead, can I do that? You know, you can look at some of these more creative things if you start early, but you know, to broaden this out, it's, it's really interesting and fascinating to me that when I was, when I was 20 and 22 years old, and I thought about the world of investing, I thought about how complicated it was. And how there were five bajillion different things to think about. But one thing we made clear today is that a pension is really just another form of annuity, right? So we just took two things and put those two together. And now we kind of know how both of them work because, frankly, it is the same stuff just offered through your company versus buying it yourself. But it's a lot like a mutual fund, an exchange traded fund. We think of those as two big time different things really pretty damn close to the same thing, you know? So it's funny how the more you learn, the more you realize you can kind of lump a lot of these investment ideas together. And it makes this world that seems so confusing, so much less confusing and so much easier a show like today. Absolutely, Joe. And I want to point out, I want to give you kudos for making what could be possibly the most important point of the entire episode is that when you choose your benefits, do I take it as a lump sum or do I take the, you know, let it ride out over time? That's irrevocable. That was not even something that I knew. I mean, of course it makes sense, but I didn't know about that before you said that. So I really appreciate you cementing that in people's minds. If you have a pension, you need to read the documents and you need to make sure that what you are choosing is what you really want. Well, the most thank you for that. And actually, the most important thing that I didn't say is that, of course, you take the lump sum and you put it in Shibubu coin. <laughs> no. So don't follow Joe for <laughs> investment advice in Shibubu not a, coin. Not a thing. Joe, where okay. can people find more about you? Yes, you can find me three days a week at the Stacking Benjamin Show. We call it the greatest money show on earth because as Mindy Jensen, who's been on it a lot, knows it's a circus over there, Mindy. We tend to have a lot of fun and uh, and I love being able to hang out with people like Mindy and Paula Pant and Len Penzo. And uh, we have we have uh, my co-host, OG, my neighbor, Doug. We have a good time. All in mom's basement. All in the basement. And your book, when does it come out? December 28th, Stacked, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management. It's a fusion of the Hardy Boys Detective Manual and the Cub Scout Wolf Guide. <laughs> Those are fused together in a financial book for adults. So that's, that's going to be a lot of fun. I have a sneak peek. And let me tell you, I had an enormous amount of fun reading it. Thank you. Okay, Joe, should we bounce? Well, already? Already. Okay, fine. Okay. From episode 259 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is Joe Saul Cihai, and I am Indy Jensen saying, gotta bark, aardvark.
It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. 